Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. The All-Star Game, the midsummer classic that highlights the year's top baseball players is tonight. And there's a strong showing of players with local connections, four members of the Tampa Bay Razor on the roster and four with roots in the greater Tampa Bay region. On this episode of Florida Matters, we're taking a swing at America's pastime here in the Tampa Bay region. We'll talk about the 25th season of the Rays, how spring training and the New York Yankees helped put St. Petersburg on the baseball map. And we'll discuss some of the biggest names in the sport to emerge from this region, from El Lopez to Tino Martinez, and the new generation of rising stars. Well, joining us is Joey Johnston, a longtime Tampa Bay sports writer who covered everything from high school and college sports to spring training and MLB, with bylines in the New York Times, TBO.com, MLB.com, and others. Joey, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Also joined by Alan Rittner, editorial producer with MLB Advanced Media LP. Before that, he worked at the Tampa Bay Times as an editor on the sports desk for many years. Alan, thank you as well. Thank you. And Rick Vaughan, former NFL and MLB communications executive who headed the communications for both the Baltimore Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays. He's the author of 100 Years of Baseball on St. Petersburg's Waterfront, How the Game Helped Shape a City. Rick, thank you as well. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, let's start with the Rays celebrating the 25th season in the MLB and having a pretty good season at that. Um, Alan, how good are the Rays this year and why are they doing so well? Right now, they're the best team in the American League. They've got the best record in the league. They just are the most innovative franchise in Major League Baseball. They do things differently, and they're always ahead of the game. They've done a phenomenal job of developing talent, of acquiring talent from other organizations. Kevin Cash is probably the best manager in the game. They probably have the best pitching coach in the game. They are just a top-to-bottom innovative organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've just done a phenomenal job of finding the kind of players who fit into their culture perfectly. And is that kind of by design? Because it's a fairly new team. They came up you know, alongside when there were obviously a lot of pretty well-established teams to, to compete with, so they had to find new ways to do things. It took a while. I mean, the initial organization, the, the first decade or so of the organization, they really struggled. And uh, it, re- it really took the total overhaul, uh, new ownership, new front office, uh, for them to really find their footing and to start applying some more, more analytical model mm-hmm. for how to acquire talent and for how to develop talent. Uh, once that happened, it just happened like that. It happened really, really quickly. And they've been pretty consistently good now since about 2008 mm-hmm. uh, with one little dip in there in the middle. Uh, but by and large, they've, 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 again, they've just been so far ahead of the game, which they have to do because they've got so many financial behemoths in the American League East mm. that they're competing against. They're not going to be able to outspend the Yankees or the Red Sox or anybody else pretty much in baseball. Uh, so they have to be thinking ahead. They mm. have to be more innovative. Uh, and they've just been incredibly good at that. Rick, you were with the Rays during their rebranding from the Devil Rays. I wonder how it feels to see those throwback uniforms uh, out on the baseball field. I kind of cringe. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, from a PR standpoint, it was a really difficult color blend. 
to duplicate. So when we were doing different publications, we never got it the same way twice. But it's great, you know, Mm -hmm. because I have a lot of really good memories of uh, when we first started. I know we weren't very successful, but there were so many firsts and so many things that we got to be a part of with Wade Boggs, who got honored yesterday, and McGriff, and, and some of the guys that came along. And, you know, then, as Alan said, when when the Rays, the rebranding, uh, the thing that struck me the most was the emphasis on defense. Mm. You know, that was the thing that was not, I don't think that was a part of our DNA early on. It was really, Chuck Lamar did a great job of drafting great athletes, but mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily fit all together very well. And when Andrew Friedman came in, I remember having a conversation with him about our lineup one day, and he and I said, I don't, I don't see where the runs are going to come from. He goes, it doesn't matter. We're going to not give up a lot of runs, hmm. so we're not going to have to score a ton of runs because our defense is going to help us out with that. Right. And it was he was exactly right. I mean, we played great defense. We were way into the defensive metrics before I think anybody else was. Hmm. Saw the importance of shifting. Saw the importance of, of uh, even playing the four-man outfield when we had to and doing all of those things. And to me, that was the beginning was that realization that it's it's not just going out there and trying to score a ton of runs like we had the hit show in 1999. Mm. This was more, much more cerebral than that and much more effective. I wonder about that, though. I mean, as somebody who's in charge of marketing a team, was that difficult sort of knowing that you were going to play a different kind of baseball that was more about focused on the end result, but maybe not necessarily a real kind of draw for spectators? Well, we needed a win. You know, that was the thing. Our first 10 years, we finished last place nine times. And whatever what we were going to do that was going to make us win, that was the most important thing. And we had some early hurdles. You know, we had, you go back and look, our owner had never been involved in ownership before. Our general manager, Chuck, had never been a GM. Larry Rothschild had never been a manager. So there were a lot of early bumps on the ro- in the road because we didn't have maybe the experience that, like, the Diamondbacks were really smart enough early on to bring Buck Showalter in. And they brought him in two years before they even started playing. And so he became the persona of the team and a, and a good marketing piece mm-hmm. for them. We didn't have that. And so um, we had we had a lot of things to overcome, mistakes that we made early. And so to, to me, it, it didn't really matter that so much. It was just, we need to win. We mm-hmm. need to change the culture here. And then you took Andrew and Joe together and they were a perfect match together. They understood each other. Uh, you know, um, Joe certainly understood what Andrew was all about and vice versa. And, and give the Rays a lot of credit for hiring Joe because he had not managed before either. And he had some really different ideas about how to go about it. And they were willing to listen to that and to implement. Joey, before we get back into the, the kind of history of the Rays, I just wanted to flash forward to this season. What makes this team, this Rays sta- team, stand out for you compared to previous seasons? Well, they're, they're having a remarkable offensive season, first of all. Uh, a lot of their players are, are doing things they haven't done before. They're doing them at a very high level, and it all seemed to happen all at once. And that was a big reason why they got off to a 13-0 and start. Uh, the pitching has always been a strength of, of, of the team. They've had some injuries there, but they always seem to find replacements, sometimes out of nowhere, sometimes out of thin air almost. Um, the Rays seem to ha- just have this ability to isolate what makes a, a pitcher really good, what their strengths are, and, and, and flaunt that. And maybe it's just for one season, but they figure out a way to get good good value out of that pitcher for a short amount of time. So. It's almost, you don't want to say regardless of the injuries, they're going to be fine, but they just seem to be able to find a way to be fine mm-hmm. by finding the right p- replacements. 
so it's it's all of that uh, along with the defense that's all come together. And they've had a little bit of a of a, a bad spell before the All Star break, but uh, overall they've had an outstanding season. And uh, if they get the right breaks in a few months, the, this might be the year they can uh, go where they've never gone before and win it all. Rick, the Rays were a, like a flat-out expansion team, right? They, did, they didn't relocate from another city or another country like the Montreal Expo. So how did Tampa end up with an expansion team? Well, uh, Joey can probably – Joey lived it better than I did. I was up in the D.C. area while most of this was going on from about the mid to late 80s, yeah. you know, that whole battle that, that went on. And, I mean, so they – Actually, I, sh- I should rephrase that. How did Tampa Bay end up with an expansion team, not, not, right. not Tampa? Uh, and, again, you could probably speak to this better. But, um, you know, both markets went after it really hard. And, um, it, you know, there was a lot of discussion about whether it was healthy that the two markets were against each other. And then in 92, when the expansion happened and it went to Miami – didn't come to Tampa Bay. Looking back on it, there was probably a lot of second guessing that was going on here, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. that maybe we would have been a little bit stronger if we'd been together. But St. Pete got the ballpark built. And, you know, it looked like for a long time that Tampa was going to get that ballpark built. One of the reasons they tore down Al Lopez uh, Mm -hmm. Field um, Mm -hmm. was that they were going to be accommodating a major league facility in there. And um, it just, it it didn't happen. But St. Pete got it done. And got the team. I don't know. Looking back on it, I mean, they got the team and that was the number one thing. The ballpark was built, as we can all attest to, it was pretty austere. Mm. Uh, The location, probably not the best, but they got it done and they got a team. The El Lopez Park, that was, had a lot of historical significance in in Tampa? Well, um, uh, let me just flash back a little further. Uh, My memory goes back to the late 70s when Pinellas County started to get really involved with the sports commission and the pursuit of Major League Baseball. And then shortly after that, uh, 1982, there was a group from Tampa that purchased 42% of the Minnesota Twins. Hmm. And it looked for a while like the Minnesota Twins might move to Tampa. Uh, Baseball wanted to keep the team in Minnesota, so they talked the group into selling those shares back to a local ownership group in Minnesota with the implied promise that when expansion comes, you'll be favorably looked upon. Hmm. So, But they weren't. (laughs) <laughs> that 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 was never in writing. Uh, that was never followed up on. So it started a, a chain of pursuit of existing teams that were supposedly coming to, to Tampa Bay but never did. The San Francisco Giants uh, were very close to coming here. Uh, the deal was done, but baseball didn't want the Giants to leave San Francisco. So all these missteps through the years finally led to, uh, as Rick said, Tampa and St. Pete deciding to work together, and that led to the expansion of, of, of the Rays. But it was a long, long winding road to, to get to that point, uh, and that included St. Pete building uh, what is now Tropicana Field. Uh, Tampa had designs on building a stadium near the old Tampa Stadium mm-hmm. where they, uh, they, they tore down the old Al Lopez Field spring training site with the idea that maybe a baseball stadium would go in that area. So there's, it's an, it's an incredibly long and convoluted history. Mm-hmm. It was not a linear path by any means, but it's a fascinating story. And the baseball stadium that the Rays play in now, that was, was that built without a team in mind? Like they, they built that before they actually had the plan to either put this expansion team in place or bring another team here? That's correct. Uh, 1986, it was approved, and it was opened in 1990. And there was no, never a promise of a team during any of that 
stretch. There was a long period of time when people mocked it and said, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, you built this thing. There's never going to be a team here. They had every sporting event known to man. I mean, the Davis Cup finals were in, Tamp- or, or were in that stadium. Oh, wow. U.S. Australia in 1990. Red clay uh, in, indoors. Uh, they had in, in NHL games. Uh, the Lightning played there. They had the Storm played there, arena football, mm-hmm. NBA exhibition games. All sorts of events, every event you could think of, except Major League Baseball. Wow! So uh, there was there was a long, painful period where uh, the people who were backing it and built it wondered if baseball would ever be played there. So mm-hmm. finally, they were rewarded. Yeah, Ellen, it's a big deal for any city to get a professional sports team. What was it like for you as a sports journalist and a baseball fan to have this expansion team finally in place? Well, it was it was very exciting. I mean, I actually moved here after the team was awarded, but before they started to play mm-hmm. uh, to St. Petersburg, and knowing that they were going to be playing walking distance practically from where I lived. I grew up in suburban New York, and I spent a lot of days at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. So I was used to having Major League Baseball nearby. Uh, it was it was thrilling. Uh, it was. Uh, with all the minor league baseball around this area, which I would attend all the time and I still do because I'm just a baseball junkie, mm-hmm. um, it still isn't quite the same as, as actually having a major league team here. There's there's something about when, when a team, when your local team is succeeding. And it took a while, as we were discussing before. It took until 2008. But there's something about it that really does somehow galvanize a community. I mean, I remember in 2008 when they were making that shocking run came out of nowhere, came out of the blue, and it got all the way to the World Series. Uh, the first time I, that I can recall, people were really buzzing. A lot of people wearing jerseys, a lot of people wearing caps. Um, I would sometimes uh, go to a concert, and people around me were just trying to find a television or something where they could mm-hmm. find what the score of the ball game was. It's just, it's the most exciting thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It really is incredible. Rick, just coming back to the early days of the Rays, uh, before you came to Tampa Bay, you spent a couple of years uh, with the Washington Redskins, and, and that was after being at the Baltimore Orioles. I'm wondering, though, what was it like going from working with a team with such a long storied history in baseball like the Orioles to a brand new team in the Rays? You know what? I, I was really looking forward to it because it all it was all so brand new. You know, everything we did was the first time we've done it, you know. And so, and we had a couple of years to try to um, get our roots into the community. So it wasn't, that was a luxury to really, uh, you know, to, to experience is we didn't have the hours that you have during, once you start playing, you know, it's your, your life is not your life anymore. You know, baseball mm-hmm. has a way of going 365 days a year, you know. So we had that time where we could kind of sit and plan things. And, and you know, I think we did, under the circumstances, we did the best we could. Um, Truthfully, you know, our, our ownership group, um, I think we could have been a little, how can I say this? I think we could have been a little bit more creative early on and maybe be a little bit more aggressive in what we, and even though, you know, the, the, there, was, there was a lot of thoughts, well, we still have a couple of years before we're going to play. But I think mm-hmm. those were times when we could have probably done a better job of putting those roots down. Um, not to say that we didn't, uh, we didn't do it, you know, we, we definitely tried. But I think there were some missteps early on. Let's step back in time a little bit before the arrival of the Rays. Now, you write about the history of baseball in the Tampa Bay region and St. Pete specifically in your book. Um, but, but what was that baseball scene like here before 1998? 
Well, I mean, it was a, you know, from the very beginning, once you go back, I mean, you could go back as far as 1914 when the Browns came here. Um, it To me, when, and what I wrote about in the book primarily was what took place on the waterfront, which was a few miles away from that very first ballpark. And mm-hmm. that was Al Lang, who was the two-time mayor and came down from Pittsburgh, big baseball fan, huge St. Pete fan. And he melded the two together, saw the opportunity to take tourism, put it on the back of baseball, which is what he did. And he just didn't get two. We had two teams here, which was very unusual at that time, but they just weren't any two teams. For the first 13 years, from 1922 to 36, it was the the Braves and the Yankees. So you had two of the top three media markets here every year for a quarter of the year, all reporting uh, about what was going on down here and the virtues of the area. And I, I read where at some point the sports editors up in the Northeast, they stopped putting Florida after St. Pete. They didn't need to. Everybody knew where St. Pete was on their dateline. So and then when the Yankees came in here in, in 1925, you know, the Braves had come in in 22, Yankees in 25. And then even after the Braves left, the Cardinals came in. So you had the two most successful teams in Major League Baseball at that time in terms of World Series wins. And it's still true today. So you had the two most successful teams basically playing here from 1937 until the Yankees left in 19, after 1961. Mm-hmm. And that was due to the civil rights issues and things like that. But it was always, my point is that it was always kind of a lightning rod for spring training. This, this was the center of spring training for like six decades. Because even after the Yankees left, the Mets came in. Mm-hmm. So you still had that New York media here uh, and you had the Cardinals. And so there was always, this was the center of the world for spring training for many, many years. And a lot of that, you know, obviously helped the the tourism business. They, you know, they had a a built-in audience, but it really helped grow. It wasn't the only thing that brought people here, obviously the water and the sunshine, but Mm. baseball really was such an, and that's why I wrote about it, was that it was so important to developing what the city became. What about minor league teams? Where do they fit in? Yeah, minor league baseball's been here forever. Um, you know, uh, the, the uh, St. Pete Saints came in in the Florida State League in 1921, and, and Tampa got a team in the league, I think it was in the following year. And there's always been – it's been a huge hub here. And that was another thing that made made baseball so important. This area was so important to baseball because you had teams that were setting up shop down here from basically the beginning of February through March. And a lot of times they would stay down here for a while because they had minor league clubs here to do business with. So mm-hmm. so it, it was all of these things coming together and it was just a, it, it was just a perfect storm for baseball for six or seven decades down here. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about the rich history of baseball in the Tampa Bay region from the early days of spring training to the Tampa Bay Rays celebrating their 25th season this year. The conversation continues after the break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. The annual baseball Midsummer Classic is giving us a chance to showcase the standout players of MLB and the role baseball has played here in the Tampa Bay region. Let's get back to the conversation about some of the top players and managers who emerged from the region over the years and the new generation of baseball stars. I'm speaking with sports writer Joey Johnston, MLB Advanced Media LP editorial producer Alan Rittner, and writer and former MLB communications executive Rick Vaughan. 
Let's talk about some of the big names in baseball that have come out of the Tampa Bay region. Al Lopez, we mentioned the park that bears his name, bore his name. Uh, he played baseball in the 20s and went on to be a manager in the 50s and 60s. Tell us more about him. What, what makes him such an important figure in this region's baseball history? Yeah, I mean, growing up in Tampa, I mean, Al Lopez was royalty. Um, mm-hmm. I graduated from kindergarten at Al Lopez Field. Not oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember being on that field as a five-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to countless games there, and you know, there was a man behind the name, Al Lopez Field, Al Lopez. And I think the thing that endeared him to everyone here was not only did he become a, a, a famous baseball player and an all-star, but he always came back to Tampa. Uh, he went off to manage the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago White Sox, but Tampa was his home. He was very much in the community, very accessible, visible figure here. And um, when he turned 95, I think this was 2003, I decided to do a story on him and sat with him for three hours, one of the great afternoons of my life, actually. And it occurred to me at that time that from the days when he was a, a, a young man to, to age 95, he had encountered just about everyone who ever played the game. Hmm. He talked about catching Walter Johnson in spring training. He talked about seeing Christy Mathewson and Ty Cobb. He talked about when he played in spring training, uh, they were playing against the Yankees, and one of their top players came up to the plate and said, Al, watch my swing. Is something, do you see anything wrong with my swing? I, I don't feel right. It was Lou Gehrig. Hmm. And uh, I guess a few weeks later, it was learned that he had this disease, which is ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. But Al Lopez remembers... Lou Gehrig asking him, what, I'm not feeling right, Al. What do you see? Uh, he played in the second All-Star game. I mean, this is a man that could talk about what it was like to be around Babe Ruth, mm. what it was like to, to play against Babe Ruth. I mean, the, the stories the man had were absolutely remarkable as a player, as a manager. So he was the first out of Tampa to make the major leagues, and now there are 90 and uh, we have a, a nice little spell coming here where I think we're going to get to 100 in the next few years. Mm. But Al Lopez was the first of a very, very distinguished list. And there, there's people who may not uh, know even who the man was now. They just know the park. But his, uh, his legacy here is, is unbelievable. What about Tony La Russa and Lou Pinella, players who went on to become managers and, and actually faced off in the 1990 World Series with their respective teams, the uh, Cincinnati Reds, uh, Pinella's Cincinnati Reds and La Russa's Oakland Athletics? I've done a little bit of research with, uh, with Lou and with respect to playing in Tampa and playing at Al Lopez Field. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was, he was an unbelievably gifted athlete, not just baseball. He was a great basketball player. I think he, I think he might have been like the two-time city player of the year in high school. He oh, was wow. that good. He held the Jesuit <laughs> scoring record for decades. Yeah. <laughs> so did, he, he must have had a point in his life where he was like, what am I going to do, basketball or baseball? Yeah, I, I assume. I mean, he, but, I mean, he played. The thing is, I think in those days, in, in his age and, even, and, and before, I mean, that's really all they had to do was to play. There was a lot of baseball played because there wasn't a whole lot of else, <laughs> else to do. Mm. But he grew up in that park. He played Legion baseball. He and Tony both played uh, Legion baseball in that ballpark like anybody did, you know, whether it was Wade Boggs or McGriff or Tino, all those guys coming through, Tino Martinez. But I did work with Lou for um, 
three years. And, you know, Lou was the most competitive person that there will ever be. I mean, there'll yeah. never be anybody like that. I was Lou. watching a, like a supercut of him uh, losing it <laughs> on YouTube, and it's, it's kind of amusing to watch, but he seemed to really wear his emotions on the outside. He did, but he also knew the game very well. I used to love to talk with him about, like, constructing a roster, you know, like what went into putting a roster together. And it was a lot of thought. And I, I wonder, um, you know, he, to me, uh, he was the kind of guy, he may not have taken a young team and made it a great team because he may not have had the patience to do it. Mm-hmm. But if he had the same talent you had, he's going to beat you more than you're going to beat him. And he's going to take a good team and he's going to make it a great team. And I, I, there were many times in the three years. Now, we didn't win much when he was there, unfortunately. And that was sad because all the coaches told me, we're going to have so much fun here when, he, when we win. We, never got, we had one unbelievable turnaround. Um, I think it was in his first year where we were like 18 games under 500 in May, and we somehow got over 500 that year. Uh, right before the All-Star break or right going into the All-Star break, we'd reached 500. But I felt bad because... It wore on him so hard. We were all worried about his health. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think we were all concerned about his health because he wanted to win so bad. And it would have been a great story for him to win here, to come back. That would have been like the final punctuation mark on his career, would have been able to win here, you know. And we just didn't have the horses. There's a whole new generation of baseball players, Bo Bichette, Kyle Tucker, Shane McClanahan, Pete Alonso. Uh, where did they get their start in the Tampa Bay area and what are they doing now? Many of the ones that you mentioned are, are playing in the major leagues. Uh, Pete Alonzo, I remember specifically at Plant High School, uh, I remember taking my son to watch an Alonzo Plant regional playoff game, and uh, Jose Fernandez was pitching for Alonzo. I remember him pitching to Pete Alonzo. So another thing I remember when I was first starting out, being a very young sports writer at the Tampa Tribune, I was covering high school baseball, and... Uh, you know, as the years went on, you know, I'd bump into somebody and they'd, they'd go, man, did you, did you see Dwight Gooden play in high school? And i go, yeah, a lot. Did you, did you see Fred McGriff? Uh, yeah, a lot. And i go, I remember being 20 years old, going to a game, and there's Dwight Gooden pitching to Fred McGriff. And, and they go, what, what was that like? And I said, that was Tuesday afternoon in Tampa. That's what that was like. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to diminish it, but it was – yeah, and I knew it was it was pretty cool, but it was not atypical to see something like that happen. And it's still not atypical. Mm. Uh, you can still see things like that playing out on, on the diamonds around Tampa Bay. Right. So this area continues to generate yeah. some pretty great baseball yeah, players. Yeah, been consistent. I mean, maybe there have been some maybe patches where it's not as many have come through. But I think, again, we're, we're kind of seeing a resurgence now. We're going to see in the next three to five years a lot more guys coming back. And, and, and again, the, the, the thing that has really made Tampa Bay baseball remarkable is these guys aren't just getting to the big leagues. They're becoming Hall of Famers. They're winning batting titles. They're winning Cy Young Award. I mean, we're all-star games. I mean, we, these are high, high-level players. You know, per capita, Tampa Bay, it would be hard to find another area that produces as many quality major leaguers as we do here. Why? Why is that? You know, probably a, a million reasons. Number one, the obvious one would be the weather and the year-round playing. Uh, number two, I think, is just the culture and heritage of the area, what baseball means, how important it is, why why it's maybe a more prominent sport than, than other sports. And I think the coaching at all levels here in high school and youth, we have these longtime dedicated coaches 
who have made a career out of this, the guys who produced players in the 70s and 80s are still producing players at, at this level. So, uh, and, and I think it's almost like a self-perpetuating thing. You talk to some of the latter-day players now, and they say, oh my gosh, yeah, I grew up watching Gooden and Boggs. And so there's almost like an expectation or, oh yeah, that's what we do here mm. in Tampa Bay. We play baseball and I want to be like those guys. Yeah. So it, it just continues to grow. Well, I've been speaking with uh, Alan Rittner, editorial producer with MLB Advanced Media LP. Alan, thank you so much. Thank you. Also joining the conversation, Joey Johnston, a sports writer who covers baseball and other sports in the Tampa Bay region. Joey, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. And writer and former MLB and NFL communications executive Rick Vaughn. Rick, thanks as well. Thank you. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. Engineering support from Blake Bass. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.